Good afternoon. Welcome to Free to Be Faithful. I'm moderator Kip Allen. Free to Be Faithful is a religious liberty education awareness program created by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, in response to increasing governmental incursions into religious life. People of faith and our institutions have come under increasing attack in recent years from secular sources. Their demands have ranged from removal of crosses from national monuments honoring war dead, to punishing those who openly prey on athletic fields, to demanding that Christian business people participate in gay marriage ceremonies, regardless of religious sensitivities. The most far-reaching and ominous development to date was the United States Supreme Court's ruling on the Oberfeld decision in June of this year that recognized the constitutionality of same-sex marriage. In response to a direct question, the Solicitor General of the United States stated that the tax-exempt status of some religious institutions would be called into question if they oppose same-sex marriage. This is of special concern to the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. The Synod is firm in its opposition to gay marriage. To date, there have been no attempts to force the Church to perform a same-sex marriage ceremony, but the implications go far beyond that. There are religious-affiliated schools from the preschool level all the way up to the college level. Lutheran school administrators have expressed concern that the ruling could impact federal funding for such things as school lunch programs or funding for special needs children. Other questions concern employment for church workers and employees, admission standards for Lutheran schools, housing policies for colleges, and more. One or Excuse me, one organization supporting religious liberty is the Alliance Defending Freedom. Founded in 1994, the ADF works with attorneys and organizations across the country dedicated to preserving religious liberty. One such attorney is today's guest on Free to Be Faithful. Eric Stanley is the ADF senior legal counsel and director of the church team. Eric and I will discuss the implications of the recent trends on religious institutions. In the final 10 minutes of the program, Eric will take telephone questions from our listeners. Listeners in the St. Louis area may call in at area code 314-821-0850. Outside the St. Louis area, listeners may call toll-free at 1-800-730-2727. Also, listeners may email the questions to kfuo at kfuo.org. On the line with me now, Mr. Eric Stanley. Eric, welcome to the program. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on today. Eric, could you explain the depths of the problems that we are looking at right now? It goes far beyond simply whether or not a church can be forced to perform gay marriage. Obviously it can't, but there are far more implications. Well, you're certainly right about that, and I think that the Obergefell decision from the United States Supreme Court uh, redefining marriage to include same-sex couples gives us a little bit of a hint on that, uh, because as Chief Justice Roberts stated in his dissent, that uh, the majority opinion said, well, believers can advocate and teach their views on marriage and uh, on, on those views that they hold, their religious views, but as Chief Justice Roberts pointed out in his dissent, uh, the majority ominously did not use the word free exercise of religion. And that's a, a really ominous sign, and, and it's something that we Alliance Defending Freedom have seen coming for quite some time, that the redefinition of marriage would cause problems for churches in numerous areas regarding use of church facilities, volunteers at churches, employment issues for churches, uh, religious ministries uh, having employment issues, uh, issues with contracting with the federal government or receiving grants from the federal government, 
Uh, and then also religious schools uh, having issues regarding admissions and can you abide by your code of conduct policy. Uh, and a lot of this really boils down to the application of what we call SOGI laws, which S-O-G-I, it, respond, it, it basically stands for sexual orientation, gender identity, and they put those phrases into so-called non-discrimination laws. Uh, and by force of law, they require people not to, uh, quote-unquote, discriminate uh, based upon the characteristics of sexual orientation and gender identity. And there's a wave of these laws that are sweeping across the country, cities, towns, counties, uh, and at state level. And there's a move to put it into federal law under something called the Equality Act. And so in the wake of Obergefell, these laws have really started to come to fruition, uh, and uh, they really pose a grave threat to religious freedom in numerous ways. Well, for example, just in the schools, uh, we would have, for example, the uh, Concordia University system. What about housing for students and, uh, and faculty? What if, for example, a same-sex couple wants to have housing together? Or even, for that matter, a, a non-same-sex couple, you know, because, again, the, the church preaches against cohabitation. Would this, leave, would this leave the university system open for trouble? Well, uh, I, we don't believe that it would in the sense that the university system would have uh, really good constitutional protections against any kind of claims like that. Now, uh, that's that, of course, is saying one thing, but it is also very true that uh, there are numerous complaints and claims of discriminations that have, are being filed um, on issues like this. Um, and so, you know, to say that you would have protection doesn't mean that you would be immune from having somebody complain that you are discriminating against them. So I think what we're going to see is we're going to see an uptick in the amount of these claims and, and the litigation that goes forward. Uh, with them, but we, we're pretty confident, uh, well, I'll say it this way, we're very confident that the constitutional rights of uh, the universities like the Concordia system are really uh, very well protected. So in the instance you talked about with a same-sex couple or even a cohabitating couple that's unmarried, that's a, a man and a woman, the university would have the right to uh, hold their students to uh, the code of conduct of the university, uh, and that would include the religious beliefs that the university abides by and demands that its students abide by. Uh, and that would permeate through all those decisions, including admissions and uh, student discipline, uh, and certainly even housing. And so we would, we would say that the university would not have to allow admission uh, or housing for a same-sex couple or a cohabitating couple uh, because that would violate the faith of the university. What about the danger of losing federal grants or tax-exempt status? I'm thinking specifically of federal grants that go to to uh, Lutheran schools for things like uh, school lunch programs. Well, that's a little bit more of a complex problem and one that we're dealing with uh, on behalf of several faith-based organizations across the country um, who are just really kind of question, have the same question. Uh, and the issue really boils down to how far can the federal government or a state government go in mandating what you know these non-discrimination uh, provisions so uh, as an example a faith-based agency or a social service outreach of the church may um, contract with the federal government or receive a grant and as a part of that grant that money uh, the federal government or state government may try to put in um, a statement that says you can't discriminate in hiring um, or in anything else on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. Uh, now, 
obviously, these outreach organizations, uh, no one will discriminate in the provision of services. So, you know, we'll serve everybody. Uh, But there's a different issue when it comes down to the government telling you who you can and cannot hire and fire. Because employment decisions, as as we know, personnel is policy. Uh, In employment decisions, it really matters who you have on your staff. And so that's a specific focus. Now, there are good protections in uh, federal law currently uh, in some of the executive orders uh, that have issued under the White House Faith-Based Initiatives Office and some other uh, time periods. And those, those exemptions for churches and religious organizations remain intact. Uh, but there's recently been a move to kind of muddy up the water with some of these executive orders that uh, have been issued by the current administration. And so it's a little bit of an open question. So I do think that there's great constitutional and statutory protections that are available uh, in that issue. And so what I would say, though, because it is such a complicated issue, this is why uh, Alliance Defending Freedom and, and all of our attorneys exist. This is what we do. Uh, and if any faith-based organization is or outreach is facing that type of a situation, I would encourage them to call us. Uh, all of our representation is free of charge. Uh, we don't charge for anything. And we'll be happy to take a look at the contract or the grant provision, whatever's at issue, and make sure that, that the constitutional rights are protected so that uh, you can hire and fire according to your faith. One of the uh, pastors here had, had told me that there was some concern within his board of elders uh, where they have a really nice athletic facility, and uh, they make a lot of money for the church by renting it out to various uh, sports groups. The question is, what are they open for danger if, for example, a gay organization wants to hold a gay dance on this facility? Go to them and say, we want to do this, and the church would say no. Is that a problem? Well, the short answer is no, that's not a problem, uh, because as we believe that any, ch- any type of church facility uh, is a place of public worship, it is governed by the faith of the church, and, and it should not be forced open by the government for use by groups that stand in violation of the church's religious beliefs. Now, a lot of this boils down to uh, what I referred to earlier as the SOGI laws, these non-discrimination laws or ordinances that prohibit um, discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. And many of them contain that they, pro- they prohibit this type of discrimination in what's called places of public accommodation. Uh, and there's been a move to, uh, by some to say, well, churches and church facilities may be considered places of public accommodation. Uh, as one example, the Iowa Civil Rights Commission has a brochure on its website that says, does the public accommodations law apply to churches? And their answer is, sometimes. And they give the example of a child care facility owned by a church or a church service open to the public. Now, I believe that's an incorrect interpretation of the law, and it violates the constitutional rights of the church. So one of the things that Alliance Defending Freedom has created is a manual uh, that we call the Protecting Your Ministry Manual, It's free. You can get it on our website at adflegal.org. And the manual has a sample facility use policy in there that ties the use of the facility to the statement of faith of the Church and makes sure that no uses are allowed in that facility that violate that statement of faith. So I would encourage churches, uh, anybody that has a facility that, that allows for members of the public to use it, to get that statement of, uh, uh, or to get that facility use policy, and to adopt it 
because I think that that will really provide some good protection and will enable the church then to make decisions based on its faith uh, and not to feel uh, afraid to, to make those calls to say, well, yes, this, this community group can use it. We can use it as a polling place. Uh, we can do those kinds of things. But no, we're not going to allow other groups to use it that violate our faith. Well, that was going to bring up the uh, next question. You've actually broached on it. Is uh, What can schools and other religious-based organizations do proactively to protect themselves from outside prosecution? Now, you did mention the statement of faith. Uh, perhaps you could go into the nuts and bolts of that and also discuss if this impacts the other facilities as well. Well, that's right. And, and this is something that a lot of churches and Christian schools and religious ministries are doing right now, is they're taking proactive steps. And what we advise are, are several steps. And so in your statement of faith, you would want to revise that, and you would want to include a statement of your religious beliefs about marriage, about human sexuality, and about gender. So, you know, as, as odd as it sounds, what is your religious belief about gender, that it is, you know, it is only as, as God has created biological male and biological female, something along those lines. Uh, and that really nails down the fact that this is not some type of just preference that the Church or religious ministry has, but it's a statement of your faith, your deeply held religious convictions. And then you would adopt a facility use policy that would tie use of your facilities to that statement of faith and would make sure that, that the decisions that are made about who uses your facility flow through the filter of that statement of faith. Uh, then you would revise your employment uh, position descriptions of all of the job descriptions in your uh, in your organization or your church, and you would make sure that that is tied to the statement of faith, that all the employees read the statement of faith, that they agree to sign it and agree to abide by it. Uh, and you would do that for your church volunteers as well. Uh, and, you know, basically the idea there in all, everything that I'm saying is that the religious faith of the church, of the religious ministry, of the school, has to permeate everything. And it has to be documented in writing that it permeates everything. Because if an issue ever comes up and it goes to litigation, I, as an attorney, am going to want to see it in black and white. And that way we can go to the court and potentially have the case dismissed at a very early phase, as opposed to dragging through discovery and depositions and things of that nature. So... All of these things that I'm saying, it sounds a little bit intense. Uh, it sounds a little bit uh, like you, you would need an attorney, uh, but you don't. Uh, we've created, as I said, something called our Protecting Your Ministry Manual. Uh, it's available on our website at adflegal.org for free. Anybody can get it. And we just try to go through very simple steps. There's checklists. If you're a church, this is, these are the steps you need to follow. There's sample statements of faith, sample policies in there. If you're a Christian school, these are the steps you follow with the sample admissions policies and all of those things, and so forth. So we've tried to make it as accessible as possible, uh, and then we utilize our network of over 2,500 allied attorneys across the country to handle specific requests for information and for review. Uh, so, and, and again, all of this is, is without charge, because we want to make sure that churches and Christian schools and ministries are protected to the greatest extent possible. Now, there was a case in New Jersey recently where a church had a pavilion, and it turned out that a same-sex couple wanted to use it for a marriage. 
Uh, the church said no. The couple sued, and I understand that they won. Was this because perhaps the church had not had a statement of faith? Well, that case is a little bit of an of an outlier. It was an odd case because uh, the state actually took or tried to take uh, action against the church's tax exempt status uh, because it had refused to allow the pavilion for a same sex wedding. Uh, and ultimately, the church was able to to do some things to make sure that that it it got it retained its tax exempt status and and was able to use the facility as it needed to. But it went through a, a multi-year legal battle to make that happen, uh, and a lot of that I think probably could have been avoided if if there had been some policy changes and things in black and white uh, that were done uh, earlier on, uh, and that's why I think I'll give you another example. There was a a church uh, in California that had a music minister, and it found um, one day it discovered that the music minister was engaged in a homosexual relationship. And so they terminated him, uh, and they had to go through a six-year legal battle uh, before they won the right to uh, terminate, and that case was dismissed. Uh, so I, all of this, I think, can be avoided at the front side or, or have a much better chance of being avoided if churches and ministries and Christian schools would take the time now to sit down, to go through their governing documents, their bylaws, their policies, uh, take the Protecting Your Ministry manual that we have on our website, go through all of those documents, and make sure that they're in line. Uh, because then, if an issue does arise, say an example, if a school is confronted uh, with the issue of a teacher who is engaged in a same-sex relationship and they want to terminate employment, then they can be confident that they've done everything they can in advance of that. Uh, and we would still advise them to seek legal help, but they, they've done everything that they can to protect themselves by making sure their documents are in order, and then we have a much stronger basis to argue from and hopefully prevent a prolonged legal battle. I'd like to remind our listeners that we are taking uh, calls, and you can call and ask Eric a question if you're in the St. Louis area at area code 314-821-0850. That's area code 314-821-0850. Outside of the area, toll free at one 800 730 once again, that's 1-800-730-2727. Or you can email questions to us at kfuo at kfuo.org. Eric, uh, one question I had. Uh, we have a case here in uh, Missouri. In fact, I believe your organization is involved in it, where a Lutheran preschool asked for a uh, – the, the, the State Department of Natural Resources has a program where they take recycled uh, tires and use it for rubber matting for things like playgrounds. And this uh, Lutheran preschool had requested it, and the department turned them down on the basis that there is a state uh, constitutional amendment that forbids any direct state aid to religious organizations. Now, this has been appealed. Uh, it was appealed to a federal judge who upheld it up to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, which also upheld it, now goes to the Supreme Court. It's almost like the state is saying, well, the safety of children doesn't is not as important for religious institutions as it is for non-religious institutions. This, this really struck me as a, a, a very terrible thing. Well, it, it is a terrible thing, and it's discriminatory. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been personally litigating this case uh, for the last few years, uh, on behalf of Trinity, Trinity Lutheran Church in Columbia, Missouri. And as you said, the Church just, all they wanted to do was participate in this neutral state grant program. 
Uh, and the state had set up this program to kind of reduce the amount of scrap tires that were laying around in landfills, and they would take them and grind them up, uh, and uh, you could get money to uh, hire somebody to come and, and deliver the materials uh, to you, and uh, then you would put it into place. And basically, it just makes the playground safer. It's a pour-in-place rubber surface. And the state said that Trinity Lutheran Church met every single one of the conditions to get a grant. And the only reason it denied it was because solely because it was a church. And the Eighth Circuit upheld that decision under the state constitutional amendment, uh, as you mentioned, that prohibits aid to churches. And the, the opinion itself, I think, is, is rather dangerous, because it really means that if uh, this decision is allowed to stand, uh, then any type of, quote-unquote, aid to a church could be denied uh, by the state. So, uh, you know, a, a, a city may say, well, we cannot fix the sidewalk in front of your church, uh, or we can't install streetlights in front of your church, because that would be aid to your church. That's how broad the opinion is, and it's really discriminatory. It violates the Constitution. Um, the, the, the state took advantage of a, uh, a, a very vague uh, Supreme Court opinion that's been around for the last 10 or 11 years. And so now we've just petitioned the United States Supreme Court to hear Trinity, Trinity Lutheran's case. Uh, we should hear from them uh, sometime in January whether, whether they will accept the case. And we're really hoping that they will in order to remedy this discrimination and just to establish a principle that churches should not be disadvantaged in, in participating in state grant programs and things of that nature just simply because they're a church. That, that's wrong. Especially when children's safety is concerned. Uh, and you pointed well, yeah. out, I think rightly, everything from crosswalks to stop signs for in front of religious schools, that has to be, uh, that, that's something that could be endangered. Well, it really could. And, you know, it sounds a little bit far-fetched. It sounds, you know, kind of alarmist to say that. But I think the way the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals opinion read, taken to its logical conclusion, uh, a city or a state could justify those types of actions as discriminatory. And that's something that we really want to fight against. And and we feel that we've got a pretty good chance of getting the court to hear this case. Uh, As I said, uh, the state took advantage of a pretty vague Supreme Court opinion from about 10 or 11 years ago. And the Supreme Court has not taken up that issue since that time, but it has created conflict in the lower courts about how broadly that opinion should be applied, and what does it mean, and especially what does it mean when it's in regard to a governmental interaction with churches and religious organizations. So we're prayerful that the court will accept that case uh, and will allow Trinity Lutheran to just participate equally and neutrally in this grant program, just like anybody else. What bothers me is that it wasn't just the state agency that did this. It was actually upheld on two federal levels. That bothers me a lot. Yeah, that's right. It bothered us as well. And, uh, you know, those are those are things that I think we're hoping to have remedied uh, by the Supreme Court taking this case. And and I would encourage your listeners, to, you know, to pray for the Trinity Lutheran Church case uh, and pray that the Supreme Court would uh, grant the petition uh, and hear the case and reverse it and remedy this wrong, because it really does need to be remedied. Yeah, and Trinity Lutheran is an LCMS church in uh, Concordia, Missouri. And uh, preschools and and uh, playgrounds for children, what could be more important? 
<laughs> I do want to remind our listeners once again, uh, you can email us both at kfuo. Uh, at kfuo.org or publicsquare at kfuo.org. We set up that new uh, email address, the publicsquare at kfuo.org, specifically for this program. So we're hoping that you can take advantage of it. Eric, a little bit more about the organization, ADF. Can you give a, just a bit of a history of it, why it was formed, and how you're progressing? Well, absolutely. As you said, we were formed in the early 90s by a group of Christian leaders who really believed that there needed to be a Christian answer in the legal system. Uh, and uh, one of our founders, the, the late Dr. Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, tasked ADF with a very simple mission. He said, ADF, your mission is to keep the door open for the spread of the gospel. And that's what we do. And we do that in, by protecting religious freedom, by protecting the sanctity of human life, and by protecting marriage and the family. And so those are our, really our three focus areas. Now, I lead uh, what's called the Center for Christian Ministries, and we are focused uh, solely on protecting churches, pastors, religious organizations, and Christian schools, protecting essentially the right of the Church to be the Church, to minister freely, unhindered the Gospel, uh, so that it can go forward and change hearts and minds, uh, because ultimately that's the only hope that we do have, is that the Gospel can go forward unhindered and uncensored in its full form. Uh, and that churches and, and religious ministries should not be constrained uh, by the government in their ministries. And so that's what we're focused on. That's what we're hopeful with the Trinity Lutheran case, with the other cases that we have going on uh, about churches. Uh, you know, we've, And a lot of the advice that we're providing, as I mentioned earlier, we've seen just a, a huge demand for our Protecting Your Ministry Manual uh, that's available on our website free of charge. And it really has met a need, I think, in this day and age, as we have faced a Supreme Court decision that has redefined marriage and has cast a lot of uncertainty onto the Church. Uh, and our message to churches has really been simple, churches and, and ministries and Christian schools. You know, we abide by what our Lord said uh, in Matthew 28, to go into all the world. And whatever the Supreme Court marriage decision said, it didn't change that command. Uh, and so we will go, uh, as our Lord commanded, but we want churches and Christian schools and ministries to know that as you go, uh, you don't go alone. That's why Alliance Defending Freedom was created, in order to provide that legal help. And I think that is desperately needed. I'm looking at, uh, you, you broached on this before, I want to make a direct quote here from Justice Roberts in his dissenting opinion. The majority graciously suggests that religious believers may continue to advocate and teach their views of marriage. The First Amendment guarantees, however, the freedom to exercise religion. Ominously, that is not a word the majority uses. That is frightening. It is frightening, and I think that it, it echoes what we've seen from some governmental leaders who have tried to draw a distinction between what they call the freedom of worship and what the Constitution says, the free exercise of religion. And some, some governmental leaders have said, well, sure, you have the freedom to worship. Well, that's a pretty, pretty narrow concept, and it relates solely to what you do within the four walls of your church or your home or within the confines of your mind. Um, yeah, you can worship who you want, but when it comes to the exercise of your religion in the workplace, uh, in your ministries, through your churches, all of those things, that's where the uncertainty comes in. And I think Justice Roberts hit it right on the head, is that the Supreme Court marriage decision really cast a lot of uncertainty onto how broadly will the Court protect the free exercise of religion. Uh, and that really boils down to 
how vigilant are we as citizens? How willing are we as citizens to take a stand when the government encroaches upon religious freedom uh, and to fight these battles through to the very end? I mean, that's why Alliance Defending Freedom is so active in representing uh, the florists and the cake makers and the wedding service providers and the T-shirt printers and other people who, who simply just want to live out their faith in their business. And, and whether people agree with you know, whether you ought to bake a cake for a same-sex wedding or, or whatever, you know, that's not really the issue. The issue is, for that person, they want to live out their faith, and if the government can force the cake maker and the, and the florist and the T-shirt printer to violate their conscience, then the government can force anyone to do anything, and the free exercise of religion doesn't mean anything anymore. And so that's what we're fighting against, and that's what we're hopeful that uh, we can continue to, to fight, but uh, we stand together with those who are willing to stand and, and protect their, their rights to free exercise of religion, because it's that important. It is vitally important. Eric, I want to thank you so much for bringing your insight into this program. Uh, we will be doing the program about every other month, and it's something that we're looking forward to. You've been listening to Free to Be Faithful a presentation of Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, as a religious liberty education and awareness program. Free to be Faithful will air the third Monday of every other month. Today's guest was Eric Stanley of Alliance Defending Freedom. I'm your moderator, Kip Allen, wishing you God's blessings.